to the Fromer Travel Podcast. I'm Pauline Fromer, your host. As always, I'm so happy to have you join us. And it is an us this week because I have Jason Cochran on the line. Hey, Jason. Hey, Pauline. Uh, Welcome back. Weren't you traveling this week? Yes, yes. You know, every year I get to go back to northern Michigan. And it's such a beautiful diverse part of the country that every time I I find different things to do, this time I did the most obvious thing. I got on the water. Oh, water. Because I say last time you told me all about the cherry fudge. So I'm like, what's going to top the cherry fudge? Okay, you get on the water. Well, yeah, you know, Michigan has, or the Great Lakes have, 20% of the world's supply of fresh water. And Michigan, as a state, you're never farther than six miles from any major body of water. Now, people in Minnesota may poo-poo that and say, "Uh uh-uh, we actually have more lakes and shorelines and we're actually closer to water. But Michigan says, nah, in Minnesota, it's all man-made lakes. Here, the glaciers did it. They're very, very proud of it. And they have the highest number or percentage of folks who own boats there. They know from the registration in in all the country. And yet I've been going year after year after year and not getting on the water because my dirty little secret is I get seasick on a swing. So (laughs) I've been avoiding the water. But this year I thought, no, you know, I got to do this. I can't really understand Michigan without getting on the water. So I went to my doctor and I got one of those fabulous patches and, and it worked Which like I guess a it worked. Yeah, because you called it fabulous. So that means yeah. it worked. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. not that rocky there, right? I mean, they're lakes. How bad could they be? Oh, the Great Lakes, I know, can be rough. But these little things, were they, were they rough? As I said, I get I get seasick on things that nobody else gets seasick on. Mm-hmm. I can't swing in a swing usually without this going on. So oh, I thought you were yeah, I, okay. I usually get very, very seasick on boats that nobody gets seasick on, but not this time. So that was great. And I decided to have three different types of watery experiences. I was going down because they were going to be doing a ribbon cutting on a new water trail. And this is really interesting. It's it's doesn't it doesn't exist in many other parts of the United States, but in Michigan, in Antrim County, there are about a hundred miles worth of lakes and rivers, and they're all connected in different ways. Actually, there's only one short stretch where you have to portage your boat. You could literally go into the water and be paddling for a hundred miles without stopping. Of course, you'd have to be Superman because most people can't paddle more than two to three miles an hour. So they decided to create this waterways system. They're calling it Paddle Antrim, and they had to work with all of the different municipalities in the area. And it was the first time that those four chambers of commerce had ever worked together. And they created an app with maps, but mostly what they did is they created signage because the problem with trying to paddle in this area, going kayaking or canoeing or what have you, is most of the ways into the water are privately owned. And nobody had ever mapped all of the public access to the water and put big signs on it saying park 
come here. <laughs> You're allowed to go into the water here. So this organization has done this. And I think it's going to be a total game changer for people who love especially to kayak. I, I kayak three miles. I have a blister on the inside yeah, of my kayaking thumb kayaking is from hard. It. I mean, it really does. It's more tiring than you would imagine it to be if you don't do it very often. Right. Well, I, I have no upper body strength, so this was a really good thing. Well, you should kayak more. You probably, yeah, exactly. Well, now, what <laughs> is have this to get... thing called, and this trail called, and how do they expect people to use it when they're on vacation? Well, it's called Paddle Antrim. You can go to their website, which I'm assuming is paddleantrum.com. I'll, I'll, I'll check that out and I'll, I'll give the right advice at the very end of the show. And uh, they also have an app that you can download. And the nice thing is you can download it and use it even if you're not on Wi-Fi and it will tell you where in the water you are. And they specifically... Oh, yeah, they specifically picked spots to show you the ins and outs. So it's not, you're not going to give, they don't give you every single public access mark. They give you the ones that have bathrooms at them or that have <laughs> parking or that have other things that, that human beings might need uh, when they're on the water. And these lakes were so beautiful. At one point, you know, I'm kayaking and suddenly this swan floats by me followed by her little, uh, what are they called, baby swans? Cygnets? Uh, you know, I think, or is that the mate? It's one, well, that's it, the Cygnet sounds good, but sounds good doesn't mean it's right. That's another thing for the fact check at the end of the podcast. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I saw swans. We saw a fawn with deer. Um, it was just this very zen experience. We, we paddled on the intermediate river to intermediate lake and then turned back around and, and came back to where we were. But it, that was delightful. And then the next day, I did something that I liked even more, I got to say. I did fly fishing. Have you ever gone fly fishing? I have never gone fly fishing. And I don't think of Michigan when I think for, I think of Montana or Idaho or something. What is it like there? I, it's, it's actually a major center of fly fishing. In fact, the movement to save the trout, which is a now a nationwide movement with, was started on the river I was on in Michigan. So I've always, you know, seen videos of people fly fishing and thought, oh my goodness, that must take incredible coordination and skill and it doesn't. It's really easy. Uh, the guy said to me, you, you have the rod in your hand. You pick it up like you're answering the phone. You kind of say hello inside your head. And then it's a spam call. So you slam it down again. And doing it in that motion, like you're picking up and slamming down a phone, causes the wire to do this incredibly balletic arc in the air and then lightly touch down on the water looking like a fly to hopefully the trout that you're about to catch. And you, you try and put it down in the water where the bubbles are, because that probably means that's where the fish are. And so you learn how to read the lake uh, on this, or not the lake, the river. On this river, they've created all kinds of habitats for the trout, which look like just logs sticking out in the river, but the trout need them to hide underneath and to maybe... Actually, I'm, I may be making this up, maybe spawn their eggs. So you you try to get it either where the bubbles are or whether these or near these bits of wood. 
And it was a very lovely activity. I caught a brown trout. We took a picture with it and then threw it back in. So it's still swimming happily around. And it was just amazing. My my guide was quite the naturist, uh, naturalist, I should say. He, uh, <laughs> it's different. I, yes, different it's thing. different. He, he wasn't nude. <laughs> he, he, uh, I asked him what was the craziest thing that's ever happened to him while he was guiding. And he basically said, nothing has ever happened. That's crazy. Everybody gets so calm and relaxed when they're fly fishing, but the craziness comes into it to, into play with his other job. During the winter, he goes into brown bear dens while they're hibernating and tags them and tags their pups or their their cubs, I should say, too. Because just in case a brown bear mother gets killed on the road, they want to know who that brown bear was so they can save her her cubs. Is that Uh, dangerous? I mean, is it really hard to wake up a bear quickly? He said that they, it's kind of like in the middle of the night when you go to the bathroom and you're kind of half awake. That's the state the bear might get into while he's tagging them. So they have to actually inject the bear to make it go deeper into sleep. But when a bear is killed, then he's the guy who's called to try and find a foster mother for the cubs. And what they do is uh, they, they take the cubs to where other cubs are. And then they rub all of the cubs with Bengay so that the mother, who can't count, obviously, and doesn't know I only had two cubs, now I suddenly have four, she won't be able to recognize any of them by her by their smell and will adopt all of them. If only it were that simple for all animals, because you hear often like <laughs> birds, you know, yeah. like if you, if you touch a bird in the nest, certain species won't raise the bird. They just rub everything with Bengay, run around right. rubbing every small creature with Bengay and they'll all take care of each other. Yeah, yeah. I, I just thought that was absolutely fascinating. And I learned all about the flies uh, that you attach to the end of your hook. Uh, they have different flies for different seasons because there will be different types of insects on the water. In fact, they're very, very proud. They have the biggest actual flies, like buzzing flies, in the month of June in uh, Michigan, which makes the fishing really, really great because you have all of these flies on the surface of the water and the trout is are gorging on them. And it's easy to put your own little pretend well, you, fly The way you described it makes it. a lot of sense because, you know, uh, of, of the people I know who've been really into fly fishing, they're some of the most zen people I know. They're like, hmm. they also love brewing beer. They love hanging out on the porch. It makes sense. Fly fishing, you know, is a different kind of Fishing that's a bit more less 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 of a chase, less aggressive yeah. than the other kinds of fishing. Yeah. Although it gets aggressive if if your if your line gets gets tugged, if you you know if you catch one, then you have to pretty quickly reel it up and, yeah, right. and that was fun. I, I lost three, but I got one. I got one, so that was very exciting. And then for my last day there, I went to Mackinac Island, which is one of my favorite places on yeah. earth. It's this historic island uh, where they don't have any cars. Everybody gets around by either horse and carriage or bicycle. There are wonderful little boutiques and restaurants and the Grand Hotel, which you've ever seen uh, that Christopher Reeves movie, Lost in Time or Somewhere in Time? Somewhere in Time, yeah. Somewhere in Time. You've seen that hotel with Jane Seymour. Second biggest movie fan club in the world. Do you know what the first biggest is? 
Now, if I get it right, is that going to spoil it? I'm going to guess Gone to the Wind. You are correct. That is right. I would know, yeah. I'm from the South, and so I know how people in the South feel about Gone to the Wind. Yeah, yeah. So I went there so I could have a third watery experience, which was a booze cruise. There <laughs> we go. Now we're talking. Yeah, I was on this 1930s era boat with the swankiest lawn furniture kind of on top. You would expect these, it was like these uh, wicker chairs that were very, very elegant. And we went under the Mackinac Bridge and saw a lot of the island from the water. And it was really, really just delightful. Zen in a different way. Zen in a boozy way. I don't know if that's Zen, but so. Well, now tell me, after these three very different water experiences you had in Northern Michigan. Are you now more inclined to do more water experiences wherever you go? Yeah. The only difficulty is I have to get the darn patch uh, because without that I'm sunk. But with the patch, yeah, it's really, you know, the, I went to a waterfront restaurant and on the, on the menu, they, they said it had something like, if it weren't for boating, the majority of the world's surface would go to waste. And that's how they feel about it in Michigan, that there is this incredible natural resource, which are these crystal clear lakes. I, I went to a place called Torch Lake just, just for dinner and to overlook the lake. And the waters of it were the same kind of blues you see in the Caribbean. And yet here we were in the middle of Michigan. I mean, it's such a clear glacial lake. It, it just was, it was really and also amazing. That, that during COVID, especially in the Great Lakes, the water was churned up a lot less than normal. So it hmm. is right now much clearer in that part of the world, if you look at the water, than it has been for a while. I don't know if you experienced that or if they told you that when you were there. They didn't tell me that, but it seems like people are coming back there. Yeah, I mean, now I'm I, sure it's probably different, yeah. They're sold out for Memorial Day weekend. Um, every place I went told me that, that you know they're, they're expecting a big rush and a boom of people, and they also have a lot more direct flights going there from all parts of the country. In fact, my next guest, uh, Kevin Klein, will we'll talk about that. But yeah, such lovely people and such a variety of things to see and do. You know, I was raised in a city, so... I, I, it's only at this age that I'm, I'm really getting into nature and it's, to me, it's as fascinating and as appealing as any museum, especially what? if you have a good guy oh, who can point things that? out. I love it. I love <laughs> that you just said this. Oh, yeah. I'm going to take you on a hike sometime. I know oh, that's terrific news. We're going to get you back to Yosemite and get you on the, on the trails. Yeah, well, you know, it it always helps if somebody can explain to me what we're seeing cuz I don't have the background really to see to know the difference between one tree and the next or one bird and the next. Sure, when I learn about it, doing. yeah. Mm -hmm. It it really it really is uh it really is very lovely and northern Michigan is is kind of this idyllic place. It's it's just, I, I, you know, I, I always say when people ask me, where's your favorite place to go? I always say the last place I've been because I, I don't usually like to go to the same places over and over and over. But in the last four years, might be five years actually, I've gone to Northern Michigan at least once every summer. And each time I've had an incredibly different experience. One time I went for the Cherry Festival, which was like this overload of Americana with 
pit spitting contests and the blue angels flying in formation overhead and incredible country music acts on the stages and a fair with every type of cherry product (laughs) you could ever imagine and a lot you never even dreamed existed. And then another time I went and I just went to all the wineries and the beer places and the the breweries and the distilling houses because that's a major thing here too. And then this time it was water. I wondered what it'll be next time. That'll be very interesting. Maybe next so time I'll go back next, for the film festival. Michael what Moore time runs of year a is film. That That's in the fall. But the, the fall colors, you have to remember that Michigan in that area is on the same, would it be latitude or longitude as New England? Latitude. And, latitude. and this is a great mnemonic. I remember it's lat because it's like cat and cats lay down. And so that's how you know it's from side to side. That's a mnemonic device. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So they get gorgeous fall colors. I'm hoping the next time I can go back would be for that film festival and to see the colors. So so that's been very exciting. Also exciting are some new things we have up on Fromers.com. I just wanted to mention this because this is a big deal. Back in April of 2020, I wrote an article about something. We were we were one of the first to cover it at Fromers.com and then everybody else did. But the Sicilian government decided to subsidize travel. Their economy is so dependent on tourism uh, that they decided to put millions of euros into partially paying for people's airfare, paying for some hotel nights. I think it's one out of every three will be subsidized. And uh, making all sightseeing free by opening up all the museums and historic sites to visitors. They announced this back in 2020, and then they didn't do a darn thing. <laughs> to, and and so no one all, could go anywhere anyway. anyway so it was no one, like no one could do, go anywhere anyway. Yeah. But people wanted to book it, I think, and and maybe they they just did. They just took their time took in creating time. a a way to actually let this happen. And and I just wrote an article this morning about the fact that now is the time that you can apply for these vouchers and they're going to save you 50% on uh, your, well, I guess they'll save you a third on your hotels. It's not clear how much they'll save on airfare. Originally, they said they'd pay 50% of airfare. Now they're just saying they're going to give a discount. But all of the museums are going to be free. And they're also going to give you guided tours, including diving tours. I never even think of Sicily as being a big diving destination. But I guess people go for that and they're going to be able to do that for free, which is kind of mind blowing. And, you know, in the same area of town, Malta, which is not Italian, but another Mediterranean island is doing something very similar. So you could make a very interesting circuit of Mediterranean islands just using all the subsidies that are coming people's way to get tourism started back up. Yeah, yeah. Malta also sent out a press release this week saying they are the first European nation to achieve herd immunity, which seemed like a big, what's the word? A big claim. I, I, I don't know how much the I trust that. population isn't as large as a lot of other countries. True. So, you know, if San Marino or Liechtenstein or something says something like that, you have to remember that they didn't have uh, the logistical issues that others did. They also did pretty well at Eurovision last week. So Malta's on a roll. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's been exciting. It's been an interesting time with travel coming back. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for chatting with me. Thank um, you. Welcome back. Thank Glad you. you made it. I don't, uh, I always want to say don't turn that dial, but we're not on radio right now. Uh, so uh, we'll have a quick music break and we'll be right back. 
next guest is Kevin Klein. He is the airport director uh, at Traverse City, also known as the Cherry Capital Airport. Welcome back, Kevin. So nice to speak with you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for seeing me again. Well, I have been coming now, I think it's five years in a row at this point, and every year you guys get bigger. You, you get more popular. I mean, I'm not just blowing smoke here. Tell us about the airlift and how you can now get to, to the Traverse City region. Well, we have four great airlines, American Airlines, Delta Airlines, United, and Allegiant. And so we have 17 nonstop flights to Cherry Capital Airport from pretty much everywhere in the United States. So if you think of the major hubs, we're there. So in new this year is yeah. Philadelphia Ooh. with American Airlines, Boston with American Airlines. Also, Boston competing with American is Delta. Oh, wow. So that added to our, our lineup this summer, and we continue to grow. So it's been... It's so 17 been, flights. How many did you have last summer? Well, we, well, we I go with 2019. We had okay. 15 yes, in yes. 2019. To hell with 2020. That's right. You got <laughs> that. Wipe it off wipe the, it off the record books. So in yeah. 20, 2019, we had 15. Wow. And so... Um, so yeah, we're just we're, we're continuing to grow one step at a time, and it's been great. And I can remember the, the days when I started back in two thousand and two, where we had three markets. Wow! So we've come a long way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in terms of prices to dry, to fly here, are those going up or down? Actually, they're going down. So wow. Allegiant came into the market in October of twenty nineteen, and that actually has started the competition really going on. So our average fare has dropped. Uh, it was around about 232 average fare and is now down to 183. Oh. So it's been significant. And then this summer, with the additional flights coming in, we're seeing more competition with the carriers, the long legacy carriers with the United American, putting in larger aircraft. Oh, wow. So there are more seats to sell. Absolutely. And that lowers the price, I more guess. More seats in the market, just like in more inventory or more product on the shelf. Um, lowers the price. So that's been kind of our model and how we developed air service over the last several years is we've gone to the airlines and asked them, if we have a 50-seat regional jet, let's try a 60-seat. Huh. Let's try a 70-seat. And we eventually worked our way up now to having mainline aircraft, which wow. is your you know, Boeing 717s, your Boeing 737s, your Airbus aircraft, 319, 320 aircraft. So and what great. are most people coming into the area to do, would you say? I mean, can you tell by what they're carrying with them on the airplane? Uh, well, you know, that I always try to guess that as they come <laughs> through the building. But I think what people are coming to northern Michigan is the openness. Yeah. And even prior to COVID, that's what I've always loved about the place I work and live in is the openness. Yeah. And that's what Northern Michigan is all about. We, I, I think a lot of people in the last several years have been coming for our beaches, mm -hmm. our wineries, right. our golf courses. Sure. And then recently with, especially with COVID and everybody trying to social distance, our outdoors activities with biking, trails, and rivers and yeah. streams yeah. have really opened up and they become our true assets now okay. going forward. 
I'm hearing a plane taking off in the background appropriately enough. Uh, well, it's going, <laughs> that one I think is going to Dallas. Going that's, to Dallas. That's going to Dallas. Well, very cool. So. Very cool. No, I've had a, a wonderful trip recently and we had dinner the other night, kind of made a dinner of, of um, appetizers at the wonderful Mobby winery where they make exquisite, you can't call it champagnes because it's not from France, but it's sparkling wines. Sparkling wines. Still bubbly. <laughs> Still bubbly. Yeah. Um, and you told me something that was fascinating that I've always wondered about. When a flight schedule is set, there's always a lot of cushioning on either side. Coming from New York, I just assume that was because, you know, the New York airports, they never can get the damn flights off on time. <laughs> but that's not all it is, right? Why, well, why is there a bad amount of cushioning? They put the block times in to adjust for many different factors. And that includes air traffic control factors. It includes ramp uh, congestion huh. in factors. Sometimes it's airport flow in metering the number of airplanes that an airport can handle at any given time. So when you look at the block time that's put forth, it's really when you think of logistics, right? You think about how a package goes from point A to B and how it gets there. They got to put enough time to make that happen. And that's what that block time is all about. And so one of the big things is if you go in the airports in New York, they do a lot of metering to make sure the gates are open in time for the airplanes. Huh. And so air traffic control meters that traffic coming in. And, and so they might say to a plane, oopsie, yeah. we can't let you land. Can you circle a couple more Can times? you circle a couple more times? Or let's say it's a flight that's leaving from the West Coast going to the East Coast. They may ask in flight that that plane just slow down. <laughs> so planes can slow down. They, they can, can slow I down. I guess they can. And wow. so so they control that. And um, so that's why you have the different block times. Now, in Michigan, especially in the wintertime, yeah. you'll see longer block times because they have to count for de-icing, hmm. de-icing the aircraft. Right. And so um, that's all accounted for. So a lot of people will be, when they look at, their flight time and they think I'm going to arrive at a hub and wow, I only have a few minute connect time. Well, there is some cush built in a little bit of that because of the block time and they try to account for some of those factors, but you do have those minimum connect times. So sure. it, it is all part of making sure that airplane operates to a schedule because yeah. if you scheduled everything to the minute all the time, I would love it. Yeah, it would be so happy. It would be great, but, but you'd never, you never be on time. Work. You'd yeah. never be on time. So it accounts for that. And it, it helps make it a little more efficient. It helps get aircraft into and out of the busy hubs. And so for a spoke like us, we typically don't see metering coming into us. Huh. We see it usually going back to the hubs. And so that's a challenge for us when, especially if there's a thunderstorm in Chicago uh, uh -huh. um, and how it's impacted. And so we we work to, you know, with air traffic control to make sure that metering's there. But this year with the busy schedule, yeah. we actually might have to do some of that oh, because, wow. because of the amount of airplanes coming in yeah. at any given point. So... It'll be interesting to watch, yeah. but our staff is used to doing that because of winter operations, right. so we'll just keep doing that on a year-round basis. Now, one of the things that's made the news a lot, there it seems like there's been a lot more air rage lately. Uh, have you encountered any of this, and, and what have you guys been able to do? 
Well, you know, we've seen a lot of that. Um, and I, I think it's just, you you name the issue, there's always an underlying issue before that rage happens. Huh. And so when a flight attendant, flight crew member approaches an individual and that rage situation happens, there's something else that started it first. Well, listen, a lot of it's around masks. A lot well, of people don't want to wear masks. But I think the, it, it is, that's true. But usually be, prior to that, well, they may have had a few drinks before huh. coming on board. Or they might have gotten delayed getting to the airport and they're just upset and emotional. You know, travel can be stressful. Then you add the mask, you add the hand sanitizer, all the different things going on. And when you finally sit in that seat, you're stressed. And so then someone comes by and says, your your mask isn't over your nose. It sets people off. And, And so we've seen a lot of that. And, you know, and severe incidents, we've had to bring the police and get involved. Wow! So they're escorted off the plane, they're and they escort- don't. I would think they don't spend much time in the airport. They're just they're right escorted the away. Police. Yep, and they take you know car. the police. The police take them, and depending on what happens, if it's a physical altercation, if it's just verbal, but then the FAA gets involved with huh. civil penalties, and those penalties are expensive. We've seen minimal penalties that, when I say minimal, it's not minimal to me, right. at $9,000. Wow. And we've seen very high penalties in the $50,000. Oh, my goodness. So it's very important that we all take a deep breath. Yeah. We all think about what's going on. And be kind. And when we do that, no one, believe me, not even the flight attendants want to be doing the mask police. Sure. They don't want to do that. But they also, they don't want to be assaulted either. So they don't want to get sick. And they don't want to get sick. They're in a small area with people and we need the protocols. Absolutely. And so it's, it's, it's something that we all have to work together as a society to make it happen. And no one wants to lose out on a vacation. Yeah. Just, you know, think about it. Uh, going to Hawaii, you're spending a lot of money. Sure. You, you know, follow the rules, get there safely yeah. and have fun. And that's, that's. Well, what I love about going into and out of the Cherry City Airport is that it's pretty zen here. You know, I've never, I think, taken, it's never taken more than five minutes to get through the TSA line. There's never a crowd. And so I would think you probably have less than most folks. Yes. I, I, you know, one of the things that the terminal was created is to still carry that Northern Michigan resort theme. So Uh we see a lot of cherry wood, a lot of open garden space a lot of light to come into the building because when that happens, passengers relax. Yeah. And so I give a lot of credit to the quick wait times at the TSA um, with having pre-check and, you know, to make that quick to go through. Yeah. And, you know, that we just keep building that we got the friendly agents. So I give a lot of credit to the TSA on that, but the rest of the terminal, we wanted to simplify it. It's, Mm. you know, you have a simple T of a terminal. You have your ticketing area, your bag claim area, and your concourse area. Right. To simplify it makes flow go easy. It makes it functional. Mm. And so we have all the amenities that everybody asks for. Of course, the free Wi-Fi, plugs for everybody's computer. Right. We have- (laughs) That's huge. We have, oh, absolutely. And we have the- um, the cafe with beer, wine, cherry pie, cherry pie. Um, you know, they just started with roasted chicken and, you know, you name it, gluten-free options. It's just, it's a fantastic place to be. And so with all that, people come in and they relax and that helps that stress later on. Yeah. So 
it's to me, it's an exciting time now because seats are out there. They're at great prices and you can come to great destinations such as yeah. uh, Traverse City. No, I, I think you're going to do very well this summer because so many people aren't going out of the country and they want something that is both physically distanced and cultural. And you get both. You get everything area. here. Yeah, you get everything. You here. really do. Well, thank you, Kevin. It's always such a delight speaking with you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's show, but I have a couple of loose ends that I need to tie up. First of all, Signets are baby swans. Looked it up, we were right. Hooray for Jason and me. And the river I was on for the fly fishing is called the Osabal River. And it's it's an important river in terms of that sport because it's one of the first places in the United States where the anglers decided to try and return that river to its natural state. And so they built these, they just look like logs in the middle of the river. It looks very natural, but actually these are man-made shelters for the trout because they need places where they can spawn. They need places where the sunlight isn't as direct, uh, where the water will be cooler and they can go into the areas underneath these logs and cool off. Interestingly, I got on the river from an area called Grayling, which was named for a fish that no longer exists in Michigan. The Grayling can only be found in Alaska. And so clearly the forward-thinking people in northern Michigan don't want the same fate for the trout that has happened with the Grayling. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this show. I certainly enjoyed doing it. I thank you so much for listening. And to those who may be traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. Change.